Nice. Yep, we're good. We're good. All right. All right. Well, hey, everyone. Um, Welcome to another episode of Redemption Tempe's podcast. We're we're trying something a little bit different right now. We're trying to uh, do the live stream, but we're also recording this, and we're going to throw it on iTunes and all the places where we put our podcast. But today what we're going to do is we're going to do a little commentary on the King of Kings commitment that we talked about on Sunday. So um, I'm Jim. I'm one of the lead pastors, and I'm here with Will Vakurovich. Uh, and uh, Will is one of our pastors here too, and he is the pastor who looks most like Joe Rogan. So we it. thought if we're going to start a podcast, we might as well have him on there. So I don't know if I should say thank you for that. How, how does it feel to look so much like Joe Rogan? Um, I I can't honestly say that I've spent a lot of times introspectively considering what it feels like to look like Joe Rogan. Of all of the things that I have compared you to, yeah. Um, would that be your favorite or Ricky Martin or? Ricky Martin's not my favorite. No? No. What about I, the guy, Lewis Litt from that one show, Suits? That was the worst. Okay. And then Ricky Martin. Joe Rogan's okay. Joe Rogan's okay? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, like compared to everything else okay. out of those options. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we're not going to talk about you. This isn't okay. about you. Okay? Thank you. <laughs> or Joe Rogan. <laughs> or Joe Rogan, actually. Uh, we're going to talk about this King of Kings commitment um, so Warren and I, on Sunday, we talked about how we're launching into this King of Kings campaign that's really focused on helping us uh, grow and cultivate a deeper allegiance to Jesus, to have fruitful dialogue within our community, and uh, meaningful action rather than just empty words as we enter into the election season. And um, before we jump into that, one of the things we want, really want to encourage you to do is, one, if you're seeing this today— uh, go vote in the primary. Um, two is um, if you uh, are seeing this today uh, or hearing this today, uh, we have First Wednesday coming up tomorrow night on August 5th, where we're going to talk with uh, Todd Deathridge, a guy who is an incredible guy. He started an organization that focuses on um, Israeli-Palestinian reconciliation and peacemaking. Uh, and his story is really interesting. He, uh, how much of his story do you know? Just a little bit. Yeah. I know a little bit about his professional career and then that. Yeah. So he uh, worked for the State Department in the Bush administration, and then he met a Democrat, um, Palestinian Christian, both followers of Christ, and together they, they basically put together a, um, an organization that works on reconciliation together, that is both pro-Israeli, pro-Palestinian, pro-American, pro-image of God. Um, so um, he, we're going to learn from him not about peacemaking in the Middle East, yeah. but what we can learn from peacemaking in the Middle East for our day and the conflicts that we're experiencing uh, in, the, in the U.S. So um, if... If you could ask him anything tomorrow night, what would you ask him? From, from what I've heard about him, the thing that intrigues me the most is um, this Jesus-like quality, where Jesus was posed with so many questions of like, is it this thing or is it this thing? And Jesus is like, no, it's actually this thing. Yeah. Like not even on the spectrum of how you're thinking. And it seems like that's been his approach in a lot of things. So when we think of... Christians engaging politically, it seems like 
are you this camp or this camp? Like, what is the better other option that we're not even considering or not thinking about? Yeah. 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 And it really seems like if you have an allegiance to Jesus, it allows you to care for a broad spectrum of things. Yeah. But so often our allegiance is actually to a side and we're just creating a Jesus in our image who will be kind of like the supporter of that side, you know? Yeah. Yep. Um, so as we're going to push into what it looks like to follow Jesus during the midst of this uh, tense season, uh, we've laid out these 10 commitments that we're asking people to sign on to. You can sign on on our website um, at, uh, at redemptionaz.com. And uh, it's the King of Kings commitment. We've got these 10 commitments here. Will and I worked on writing these together. So we're just going to give some commentary and we're going to kind of dream up what it would look like if things went well or yeah. if things went awry. So <laughs> yes. uh, why don't you read the first one, bro? Uh, the first commitment we have here. Right. Number one, we have worship. I commit my allegiance to King Jesus over all other idols and ideologies. Now, that one, I feel like most people would say they would sign on to it. Yeah. Um, but why, why don't we live that way? Like, why would so many people affirm that? Yet it seems like by actions, it's not being affirmed very much. Yeah. I, I think because we all have huge blind spots. Hmm. And we need other people to help us with that. You know, I, I think of um, even my kids in this COVID time, right? Like, you know, they're waking up a little later. You know, they're, they're um, not getting ready like they used to for school and, and all of these set things. And we'll be, you know, about to head out of the house. And I'm like, hey, have you guys looked in the mirror today? Like, your, your hair is doing this kid bedhead thing. Mm -hmm. But they would never realize that yeah. without me being able to see it. And it's so blatantly obvious to me. Yeah. And I think that happens with us so often. Wherever we fall, we, you know— we assume that we know the best way to, to follow Jesus and, and all of these things. And we need brothers and sisters in our life that can say, hey, your hair looks atrocious right now. Yeah. You need to go do something about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. All right. So well, let's, let's do it. You've, we've known each other a long time. Yeah. What's a blind spot that I have when it comes into civic engagement? <sighs> Man, th this, is, this, yeah, this is an unscripted podcast yes, right now, my exactly. friend. I mean, I'm pretty, pretty solid, man. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I like how you're making it a challenge. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Um, the thing that comes to mind, and I don't know that it's a huge blind spot, but I know that you are a very hopeful, optimistic guy. Yeah. And, um, and an includer, mm -hmm. which honestly, my family and I have benefited from, benefited from greatly. Yeah. You know, those, those God-given attributes that you display so well. I think sometimes in that there's, um, for the, sh the sake of shepherding, like in, um, not a minimizing of things, but like, well, we can see these other sides when sometimes there's like things on the other side that are just bad. Yeah. Please know that I'm grasping at straws here. No. I don't think this is like a huge glaring blind spot, but if I had to choose something, that would probably be. No, I think that's right. Cause you know, if I were to put myself up on that, the spectrum of the different political religions, the ones I tend to be tempted by, mm -hmm. I would probably say it's, I vacillate between the, um, the upper right, the responsibility quadrant and the upper left, the progress one. Mm -hmm. 
And the progress one has a tendency to be very hopeful, yeah. to be like, hey, we can change things. We can figure this stuff out. Um, and honestly, it can be a little bit less prayerful and lament and, and enter into the brokenness yeah. um, of something because it's like, I can think my way out of this. I can put a program and figure out my way out of this thing, you yeah. know? So um, moving on to number two, um, love of neighbor. What do you got there? I commit to participating in civic life as a means of loving and serving my neighbor rather than just serving my own interests. Yeah. What, uh, why do you think this one's important? Um, because there's a biblical command for it. Yeah. Um, to, to love our neighbor as ourselves. And I, when, we, when I think of living in community, yeah. um, one of the benefits is uh, that the community helps love and encourage and support me. Mm-hmm. And one of the costs of living in community is that you're also committing to love and support and encourage others. Mm-hmm. So I think about things, you know, when we had talked about this, one of the things that came to mind is, you know, r- right now I have young kids. I want great education for them. Yeah. So I want, you know, different um, measures that will support education to be passed. Mm-hmm. My prayer is that when I'm retired and, and my kids aren't in the public education system anywhere anymore, I would still maintain that posture of generosity because I see the benefit where it's going to cost me personally something mm. that my kids have already benefited from and, and, and moved on. Um, but still seeing that common good sometimes costs a little bit. Yeah. Now there might be a pushback. Sure. Where someone says the call to love one's neighbor is really a call to interpersonal acts of kindness and to care for people. Mm. Uh, but this isn't given us instruction for how we engage in public life and civic life. What would you say to that? Um, I, as, as I read scripture, I see, I see the God who knows me individually mm-hmm. and who knit me together in my mother's womb and who knows every hair on my head, even the ones that have fallen out. Mm-hmm. He knows me individually so, so, so well and cares about me. Yeah. Right. Send his son to die for me. Mm-hmm. And I see a God that cares for the whole yeah. For God so loved the world. Yeah. You know, the 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 nations. So it's this micro and macro. Yeah. And I think what, you know, both sides can tend to get wrong is this overemphasis on either one. Mm. That it's only loving your neighbor only through kind interpersonal connections mm-hmm. or only through the macro systemic. Mm-hmm. When I think the call is bigger than either side, but it, it includes both. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in order to really get there, you have to have a strong doctrine of creation Mm. to know that God cares about the fullness of life Mm. and actually a strong doctrine of sin, knowing that, um, that sin has affected everything, um, a strong understanding of the image of God and how human beings, uh, flourish. And it's not just through individual acts, but it's a, a broader thing. Yeah. And I also really do appreciate the work of like um, political philosophers in the Dutch Calvinist tradition who talk about the, the different spheres of life. So the idea being sphere sovereignty. Mm-hmm. So that each sphere of life, whether it be like education or family or uh, government or whatever, it has its own way it operates, yeah. its own boundaries, and that there is a way in which you are 
to love and serve your neighbor within those mm-hmm. and to have a because there is something to be said about like it could be problematic if every nation said like turn the cheek was their foreign policy right um there there does need to be uh the the government bears the sword for a purpose um but even within that there is this ultimate call for people who are engaging in public life to not just look at their own interests or the interests of their country or whatever, mm. but to look at the interests of the neighbor that God has called them to love. Yeah. Um, all right. So if this one were to go, uh, well, let's, let's move on. Uh, let's, let's go to number three, the image of God. Mm-hmm. I commit to honoring the image of God in all people by treating them with respect and abstaining from dehumanizing caricatures. So I think that this one is pretty straightforward mm-hmm. uh, and people understanding it. Mm-hmm. If you're created in the image of God, that demands some degree of respect. But let's just imagine for a moment, if someone was committed to doing the opposite of this, <laughs> yeah. what would it look like? If their like, life's goal was to, uh, let's like, rephrase it, to dishonoring the image of God and all people and treating them with disrespect and embracing de- dehumanizing caricatures. Yeah. What would that look like? So the image that comes to mind uh-huh. is the junior high school bus. Hmm. And this idea of, you know, supremacy is established by how much you can mock, humiliate, make fun of. Yeah. It's this, it's this meticulous and creative eye that is seeing the other person, but not in a biblical sense to know how to love and serve and honor them. Yeah. It, it's to act unloving and, uh, you know, uncaring and you're dishonoring them to elevate the self. Yeah. So, you know, when something is presented, it's like, what's the, how can I spin this in the most negative way? You know, you got new shoes, but they're not the right brand, you know, whatever. And I think we see that. Yeah. Maybe we don't want to go there, but yeah. I, I think we see that on both sides where it's like, this extreme language of like, you know, this person wants to destroy our country. Like, yeah. Do they really want to destroy our whole country or do they just have a different policy idea than you? Yeah. 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 I'll tell you, I'll get explicit with it. Um, where I see it playing out. Yeah. On one hand, I think that there are within our church, a lot of conservative folks Mm -hmm. who are pretty nuanced and really do care about their neighbor. And they're almost like ashamed of saying anything and engaging in the dialogue, primarily because if like I were to point out the identity quadrant there, it's tactics are built on a lot of like shaming um, people uh, into submission. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it stifles, it stifles good dialogue and, um, and I, and I think that the dehumanizing caricature yeah. is really strong. Yeah. Um, but on the flip side, I would also say uh, on, so, on, on the other side, kind of the conservative toward the more left-leaning folks within our church, um, you know, there's a lot of, when we talk about dehumanizing caricatures, a lot of how people speak about like cultural Marxism and things like that, it's pretty clear that it's a, a trope, like haven't really looked into it. Uh, and if you have, it's not like you're hearing, you've like read deeply. It's more of like you read the blog of the person who was criticizing the thing. Right. And so it kind of, it's, it's a, almost like you're looking for the bullet 
to not have to engage with what people are saying. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a reality that, like, while the whole cultural Marxism thing is kind of a, a trope, there are some pretty strong Marxist influences mm-hmm. that do need to be critiqued. Um, but it, they're not being critiqued at a level where you're actually engaging with people and their ideas, yeah. but more of just like throwing out these words that are kind of like trump cards to end the conversation. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Um, what would it look like to, what would the opposite be though? Like, what would it look like to really press into that? Like, I, yeah. Yeah. I, I remember the first Wednesday, the, the comment was made, you should be able to articulate the other side's position as well as your own. Mm. And I think by doing that, you know, that's a very incarnational, right? Like yeah. putting on flesh and dwelling I- inside the other point of view. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think by doing that well necessitates the humanity, the empathy, the understanding of nuance, Yep. you, you know, kind of um, brings you to that common table of uh, where it turns down the like hyperbolic volume and mm. it's, and it's actually a thoughtful engagement yeah. with the fellow image bearer. Yeah. 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 That's good. I would even say in using these, this diagram, mm. um, there's a way that you could use that to make it a dehumanizing caricature without engaging the actual person. Mm. It's a necessary caricature to talk about broad cultural movements. Right. But it, it's not the description of any given person. Every person is like more complicated than that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What's, uh, how about number four? Biblical wisdom. I commit to having my views challenged by the biblical story rather than using the Bible to proof text my predetermined positions. All right. So this, this one is, is huge because yeah. I think you can make a case for almost anything from scripture, if you're just going to rip verses out of context, yeah. um, you know, we play, we've played around with this. It's written in some of the surge material, but like you could make a theology for it, Like, let's just say if we're, if you were going to have to try to prove biblically that walking mm-hmm. is the godliest form of transportation. Yeah. H- how would you do it? How would you pull stuff out of context to do it? Well, you know, before the fall. Adam and Eve walked with God, with God in the in the cool of the mm. evening through the garden. Yeah. So even before sin entered, we see this form of transportation. Yep. Yep. Uh, the, the Bible talks about walking more than any form of transportation. If you count it up, how many times the Bible yeah. references walking? It's, it's so many. Yeah. 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 Um, you know Jesus displaying mm. his, his deity, mm-hmm. walked on water. He didn't run on water. He didn't, he didn't ride a bicycle. No, on. no. And as a matter of fact, you never see Jesus uh, riding a car yep. on a bicycle, <laughs> on a train. Uh, like, and, and do we really want to imitate Jesus? Do we want to follow his ways? Yeah, you know? that's true. So, I mean, that's absurd. <laughs> but every single political movement. Yeah. Every ideology does that same thing. Mm-hmm. Like it has its own canon. Um, which let's 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 play with it. So, which one of those quadrants would you put yourself in? I, I I'm predominantly uh, progress. Yeah. Top left. All right. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about that one. Which if you if people were going to cherry pick yeah. scripture to say this is the the way. Where, where do you think they'd go? Um, Matthew 25. Mm, okay. Whatever you've done for the least of these. Yeah. Um, you know, that's one. And Jesus is identifying 
with with the least of so there's this special um, connection that he has. That sounds more to me like identity, as the, it's like the advocate for these identities oh, that are oppressed. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, no, I think that that's so. We we got one there. I think the um, uh, you know, like the social justice laws in um, Leviticus, right? You know, caring for the vulnerable and establishing systems. that, yep. You know, gleaning the crops. Jubilee. Uh, jubilee. Yeah. yeah. Those things of if we can enact this program, yeah, then it will be better for the most vulnerable. Yeah. What what areas of scripture do you think the progress quadrant would be most likely to overlook? Um I think areas that are dealing with, you know, we we bear witness to what God is um is doing on earth mm-hmm. and has done on earth. Yeah. And we can work really, really hard. We should work really, really hard towards those things. But no matter how hard we work, it is God who is unleashing his kingdom yeah. on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're, we're just, we're witnesses. We're called to bear faithful witness to what he's doing, but it's not us or what we can do right. or how hard we can kumbaya together to make things better. Right, right. Okay, yeah, yeah totally. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because... Uh, one of the most scandalous things we could do is to go to scripture. And if you're just proof texting something functionally, you are standing over scripture as the authority rather than God's word being that shaping authority. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what would it look like to, to actually take number four seriously? Like, what would it look like in someone's life? So one of the things that's, I know been helpful for me and my family and a lot of us around here are a, a surge activity mm-hmm. of lit- you know taking an issue or, or, or a thing or ideology through the the lens of the biblical story. So mm-hmm. where is the creational good? How can we affirm the creational good of this? How has the fall distorted this? How does the uh, redemption, the gospel, kind of reprioritize this into its rightful place? And then in the coming kingdom, how can we imagine what this will look like? And all of these things help to inform, you know, the decisions of how we are prayerfully seeking to embody the gospel in our current context. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the point's great, right? We never see Jesus drive a car. So what do we do with that now that we have cars? Mm. You know, and so I think thinking through that lens really helps, um, really helps to mold our, our worldview by the biblical story. Yeah, that's good. All right, let's move to number five. Yep. What do you got? Number five, fruitful speech. I commit to engaging in political discourse with speech that's marked by the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Yeah. If you had to choose one of those that is the, the rarest in political discourse, which, which, would you, which would you say? It's rare to find. I mean, I feel like it should be love, um, but I think it, I think ultimately love. I think they can all be summed up in love. Right. But I think in our current context, I would say kindness. Hmm. It's weird because kindness is almost like forgotten that that's in scripture. That that's a fruit of the spirit. Yeah. Like it's almost mocked. Yeah. To say to be kind is. 
You almost feel like it's a, I don't know, like a Walmart or a CVS <laughs> slogan. Like, what's their thing? Like, hello, kindness or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but, but, the re- but it just feels, why do you think that one feels less potent? Yeah, I, I wonder. Um, I don't know. You know, I think what comes to mind is we don't have a lot of um, heroes that really display that, right? Like, I think about growing up, hmm. you know, you're thinking of like the superheroes who are like, you know, they can do battle. You're thinking of sports, you know, folks who are like dominating on the court or on the field, you know, all these kinds of things. Um, kindness, like who could, maybe Mother Teresa comes to mind. But I don't know, a lot of little kids are like, man, I, I really want to live in the ghettos of Calcutta and you know, work with lepers my whole life. Dressing up as Mother Teresa for Halloween. You, right, right, right. right. Um, yeah, I, I, it just doesn't seem highly esteemed in our culture. Yeah. Well, actually, cynicism mm-hmm. and wittiness yeah. is almost esteemed as connected to intelligence. Yeah. And so kind people are not viewed as intelligent um, or as bold or, mm-hmm. you know, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, it's denigrated kind of in the same vein as niceness. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I think patience would be another one, like the ability to listen patiently, attentively, to read deeply um, before making quick decisions on things. Can I? Yeah, yeah. So I think because I would identify in the top left, maybe at times lean a little bottom left, but not as much. One of the things I think with patience that that side really needs to to wrestle with is um, we're not that much smarter than other generations. Hmm. So while there are very crucial issues that need justice spoken into them, to assume that a viral hashtag campaign. Mm-hmm. Or a, a, f- a few weeks worth of protests is mm-hmm. is going to bring about this incredible, powerful, systemic, long lasting change when God's people have been working at these things for generations. Yeah, and this is where we are is pretty arrogant. Yeah, yeah. So I think that idea of patience, not as a cover up of like we're not going to engage, no, we're going to continue to engage, but we're also going to understand that this is this is uh, a work that requires endurance and, yeah. lo- and long suffering. Yeah. And, and that's probably why most people have bailed on the justice and reconciliation and uh, racism conversation yeah. uh, right now is, you know, one of the things I'll just be honest with, with this, like where, where I was at is this is things that we've been pushing into for a long time and doing in action, like actually doing things. Um, and when it became this fad, it was almost like everyone was demanding like whatever action they fir- first came to their mind immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were even predicting it. We were like, okay, people are pretty fired up now, but there's going to be a drift. Uh, and, and that's that lack of patient endurance. Like if the world doesn't change on, you know, within the next few weeks, I got to move on to something else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 All right. Let's, let's talk about the next one. <clears throat> Humble learning. Humble learning. I commit to being quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, as I seek to learn from the varied perspectives within the body of Christ. Mm. How do you do that? 
um, you, you have to engage thoughtfully with people who are different than you. Hmm. And, and I don't, you know, I think the first thing that pops to mind is like, oh, you know, if I'm white, then I need to listen to black voices. Yes. You also need to listen to voices who have come before you. Yeah. You also need to listen to, you know, female voices, Hispanic voices, voices from, you know, with wisdom, different theological streams. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, we get rightfully so there's a concern that we don't want to be overly influenced. Yeah. Um, you know, by things that may be unhealthy is if we don't have blind spots as well, mm-hmm. or we don't have the ability to like take the good and, and, you know, like reason and, and sort these things out. You know, I, Ricardo used to say, you know, eat the fish, spit out the bones, mm-hmm. right. Sort of deal. I think that that's really helpful because there are things that we can glean, Yep. you know? Um, yeah. What, what are your thoughts on that one? First thing that comes to mind is our, our reading habits. Mm-hmm. Um, reading. Uh, a broader array of perspectives uh, and from different political leanings yeah. uh, oftentimes, um, especially when it comes to the news. Here, I'll say something that's kind of c- controversial. Sure. I would say if you had to choose between voting and re-engaging more than one source of news— about which one would be better for the country, definitely reading more than one source of news. Yeah, why do you say that? Well, because um, our, your vote is important. Um, but I would say the damage that is done to our neighbors, to the yeah. church, to the culture, and even to policy— Mm-hmm. by people who are not well-read uh, and broadly read is much greater. Like, for instance, politicians know that people are just looking for easy answers uh, and that they don't have to be nuanced. But if, if they did, if they knew that people had to be nuanced, they would have to get behind nuanced policies um, and it would make a more fruitful engagement. Um, yeah. Yeah, there was another thought that came to mind related to that, but I, I forgot what it was. So, um, yeah, yeah, I, I think that's a critical one. Yeah, yeah, that's good. It would it w- we're being pulled towards dangerous extremes um, in this cycle of engaging one I- ideological leaning. Mm-hmm without much of a critical thought uh, towards it. So it's, it's interesting to me that, you know, as believers mm-hmm. who understand this idea of the body of Christ. Yeah. And, you know, even thinking individually, we're all made in the image of God, but one individual alone cannot reflect all of who God is. Yeah. Right. One culture alone can't reflect all of who God is. Um, but we get a better glimpse, not a full glimpse, when we see, you know, the diversity of culture uh, within the body of Christ. We understand, you know, not everyone's an eye, not everyone's a preacher, not everyone's a, you know, whatever, that there's such benefit that we gain from this. But then politically, we're like, no, nah, I'm just going to one source. I'm just reading the one thing, you yeah. know, or, or theologically or, or, or whatever. Yeah, and, yeah it, it's, it's interesting. And, and functionally, it ends up giving authority to that thing. Uh-huh. And scriptures call to uh, renew our mind. 
uh, we're not able to see the lies in those things as much if we're just reading from one stream yeah. and to take every thought captive. I think it helps in that. Uh, just before we wrap this one up, who is either, what's like either a, a news source or a person or something like that that you're actively learning from that challenges your thoughts? Um, so I get an email uh, from this um, company. It's called The New Paper. Mm-hmm. And they try to do like three big stories and describe them well in the fewest amount of words. Mm -hmm. So you don't get a lot of the like, you know, spin. They really try to like condense it to like, this is, you know, as not that uh, everything has some bias, but they try to reduce the amount of bias. Yeah. I, I think I would probably fall on the line of like a news junkie. So to limit myself to like this one email with just three things and I don't need to like go dig, you know, get lost. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's been challenging and helpful for me. Yeah. You know, Pretty much when I do a sermon now, I've got people in all four of those quadrants mm. that I'll call and I'll talk it through with them yeah, um, and just kind of hear them out with that. Yeah, yeah, that's good. All right. What's the next one? Um, we are on to number seven. Number seven. Remove the log. I commit to giving more attention to critiquing the potential flaws in my own political leanings, conduct and sin than I give to scrutinizing others. Yeah. This one, it seems like, could you think of, of many problems that wouldn't just immediately be helped if, if this wasn't, if this was present? Yeah, I don't know. This one's the hardest one for me. Yeah. Because I really do think I'm right. And, <laughs> um, and I generally have this bias towards trying to prove myself right. Mm-hmm. Rather than uh, like the like, I'll, I'll actively try to prove someone else wrong. Yeah. Um, but I will not actively try to prove myself wrong. Yeah. Yep. Now, in the, when we wrote this, we kind of went back and forth. Is this saying that somebody's political perspective is sinful? I. It's not saying that a political perspective is sinful. Right. Falling into like the worship of the ideology is sinful. Yeah. It's not, your political perspective is not complete. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You, you know, I love the Leslie Newbigin quote, the gospel affirms and critiques every culture. Mm-hmm. Like we talked about through the biblical story, like there is creational good in each of the quadrants. Mm-hmm. And it's been distorted by the fall. Yeah. Each of the quadrants. So being able to engage that, yep. I think, is what we're, we're driving at. Yep. That's good. Um, you, when it comes to that one, I think also another point to talk about is it says more than. Yeah. Yeah. Critiquing your potential leanings, conduct, sin more than th- you scrutinize others. It doesn't mean that there aren't real flaws that need to be pointed out in other ideologies. But I think when Jesus says to take the log out of your own eye and the speck out of the other's eye, it's not saying that in every single circumstance, objectively, your issues are worse than the other person's issues. Right. It's saying that you should view your issues with a greater degree of severity and scrutiny than you view the other person's issues. But yeah. we, it tends to be the opposite. We tend to be able to see 
with clarity. It seems like everyone else's issue is a log. And ours is like a little speck. Yeah, of course I have some flaws. Right. Of course. No one's perfect. No one's perfect. Yeah. But no one's like, I have been deeply influenced by some ideologies that it's dishonoring Christ and uh, harmful to the world. Yeah. You know? Um, All right. So next one. Number eight. Eight. Biblical justice. I commit to understanding and pursuing justice as I engage in civic life, not minimizing Scripture's repeated call to seek justice and allowing Scripture to critique popular conceptions of justice in our culture. Yeah. So breakdown, it seems like the most intriguing line of this, where it gives it the most punch, is that last like phrase there, not minimizing mm-hmm. the repeated call to seek justice and allowing Scripture to critique popular conceptions of justice. Why do we add those? Yeah, because I think uh, at least just observing uh, people who would identify as Christians, yeah. we'll just say through social media. Yeah. What I have seen is, is my brothers and sisters who tend to lean more right, uh, a response to a lot of the current justice engagement is stick to the gospel. You know, this is adding extra stuff, and it's almost, it is minimizing that call to justice. Mm-hmm. What I see with my brothers and sisters who would lean left is, is this, um, man, did you read this book by somebody who doesn't know Jesus? Like, this is what the church needs to be doing. Mm-hmm. Rather than realizing, like, this is the biblical call, outside sources can help. Mm-hmm. But this needs to stem from, stem from a biblical conviction because just like any other idolatry, there's going to be, you know, distortions of what that looks like that are as um, equally unhelpful and, and sinful to, for Christians to be engaging in and advocating for. Yeah. Tim Keller just wrote this article, this really good article. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a critique of secular justice and critical theory. And he f- gives this spectrum of the different types of justice yeah. that are popular in our discourse. Um, the ones that kind of lean right and the ones that lean left. The ones that are influenced by kind of postmodern Marxism. The other ones that are kind of influenced by this uh, libertarian individualism. Mm-hmm. And he talks about how he does kind of do the affirmation in all of those, but the real critique. And how all of those actually fall way short of this beautiful vision of justice that you see in Scripture. Yeah. And um, his conclusion is actually, well, I'm not even going to give away his conclusion because it would take a little while to break down. But go read the article um, because I think it's really, really important. Yeah. Um, All right. So number nine. Number nine, peacemaking. I commit to -to face-to-face conflict resolution rather than arguments on social media. Yeah, so play out a scenario for me okay. where that would actually happen. Um, play out a scenario where that would happen, the in-person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just like someone media. posts something, then what happens? Yeah, someone posts something, uh, a, a follower responds, uh-huh. maybe with, you know, harsh or critical or... Um, even just a different opinion. Mm-hmm. And rather than, you know, okay, we're, we're loading up the straw man arguments and, and all of my proof text Bible verses and all of this, um, you know, sending the message, hey, let's, let's grab coffee, let's, let's connect, let's sit and talk about this. Yeah. Face to face. Yeah. 
because that proximity is going to remind you, remind me that you are a fellow image bearer. Yeah. And that you have a story that has led you to this uh, position. Yeah. What about people who would say, you know what? I actually do a lot better when I'm able to write things down Mm -hmm. and, um, and get my thoughts out that way. What, What would you say to them? Yeah, I, 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 that's probably true for a lot of us. Um, and that's why when, you know, any of us preach, we have notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I think you can do that. I think there could be a helpful like, hey, here's, you know, let me, I'm going to write you this email before we meet or I'm going to bring some bullet points so that I can, you know, stay focused on what I would like to communicate. I think that there's agreed upon ways that you can do that. I just don't know that back and forth snarky responses for all of your friends to see on social media is mm-hmm. the most helpful. I think we can get creative in how we do this in humanizing ways, um, in, in ways that are conducive for empathy and understanding, mm-hmm. um, more than, you know, the angry, oh, did you see what they wrote and fire off, you know, the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Why is face-to-face more important? Like, what is it, what advantages does that have versus the I think it, it brings the proximity. Yeah. I think about, um, you know, in any rela- in, in my marriage, when I'm not patient and I say something and I can see the response in my wife's face and her eyes, that that does something to me that yeah. softens me um, as much as I may think I'm right. You know, there, I think that there's a level of care when we can see that other person. Yeah. You know, when we're close enough to touch that other, like, they're a real person. It's not just, you know, a, a blip on a screen. Yeah. Yeah. You can't read tone easily. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We are embodied creatures. Uh, and so in this time, face-to-face might actually look like Zoom or something like sure. that. But the more steps you can take toward human engagement uh, versus mediated disembodied engagement, I think is crucial. To your point, even a phone call, you can hear tone. You know, you can't visually see, but even that is an advantage. Yep. Totally. Um, All right. Number 10. Number 10, loving enemies. I commit to loving and praying for my so-called political enemies, especially those whom I have the hardest time loving and praying for. This includes a commitment to pray for our government leaders, regardless of who wins the election. Yeah. How are you doing with that? Um, yeah, if I, can, if I can be like, you know, just a little, a little transparent here. Uh, 2016 was, was tough for particularly my dad and I because we lean in different directions. Mm-hmm. And um, it was really cool. He actually reached out to me and, and started this like we do a morning text message just to kind of communicate and, and, and keep that going. And, and it's been really helpful in our relationship. And one of the things I asked him after the election, um, I've already tipped my hand of, you know, which way I lean was, Hey, I know that you're a guy who, who takes the Bible serious and who, um, who prays. Mm-hmm. And so I said, you know, I know that we've had many conversations where, you know, you, you respect the government, you pray for your leaders. How did you do that? Well, under the last administration, because I can see that being more difficult for me under this administration. Mm-hmm. And it was great. I mean, we had a great conversation. He said, I didn't do it well. And so we were able to kind of talk together of like, well, what could this look like? You know, because chances are presidents are going to go back and forth between parties, you know, and, and no matter where you fall as a Christian, there's going to be administrations that you prefer and that you don't prefer, mm-hmm. but we don't get the wiggle room to just like, you know, yeah, 
not obey scripture because our candidate didn't win. Yeah. And so I think, you know, one of the things that helps is having conversations like that with people who have, you know, at least tried or, or know what doesn't help, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, I'm, I think I'm okay to tip the hand of, uh, uh, Jason and Ryan who are, uh, on our, on our team. Um, and, you know, whereas I would view myself as kind of the perfect centrist, um, <laughs> they would be uh, pretty con- conservative. And I, in dialogue with them, I realized that, you know, the way I led through 2016 was leading out of challenging and critiquing a lot of caricatures. Yeah. And not the more thoughtful... Um, wrestlings of, of people with different uh different backgrounds now ryan and i we've had some of the most intense arguments of anybody on our staff yes and um i would consider him one of my closest friends um because of the ability to argue it to hash it out to not feel like you're walking on eggshells um and um yeah can i share a ryan story sure okay so I mean, this is probably three years ago. Yeah. And there was, you know, a, a, a thing that happened in the nation and we were talking about, do we address it on a Sunday? And it, it was one of the Sundays that, you know, I, I, I had to preach and, and we got into a little tense conversation, um, you know, Sunday morning uh, and, and, you know, resolved it and, and whatever. And Ryan, you know, Ryan's an elder. He's been on staff longer than me. Um, he's older than I am. I, this is a guy that I look up to. And he a looks lot. like Abraham Lincoln. And he looks like Abraham Lincoln, which is that's like way more um, prestigious and honorable than Joe Rogan. He doesn't actually look like Abraham Lincoln, <laughs> but when I went to China with him, everyone in China thought he looked like Abraham Lincoln. Hey, that counts for something, man, yeah, for yeah. sure. But so Ryan, you know, this this older brother in the faith, this this elder, you know, this guy that I look up to, he called me that night and he was like, Hey, can we connect tomorrow? Yeah. And, you know, it was like first thing in the morning, go in his office. And he said, I realized, I don't know why you landed where you landed. Hmm. Can you tell me that? Hmm. And I was like, wow, like the humility of this guy, you know, to like come and, and, and ask that. And we had an incredible conversation. Yeah. And it was so it was so cool to see him do that, you know, in those positions, you know, the, the, this guy just take that time and like ask that simple question. Yeah. And that's, um, you know, to plug the political discipleship groups, that's one of the things that we do that I think is so helpful is everyone has a chance to share their political autobiography. Yeah. Right. So this is where I land or I don't even know where I land, but this is what has brought me to this point. And you get to hear the stories, the influences, see the humanity of one another that really helps. Like, you know, I love the language of like so-called political enemies. Like, yeah. We're not enemies in the biblical sense of like an invading army. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. Like we just think. A little bit differently on policy ideas. Yeah. But I, I think that really helps it. Well, and that's why we put the word so-called yes. in there. Because honestly, the more you actually move closer to people and are, are actively loving them uh, and being in relationship with them, you be, your so-called enemies, actually, you realize that they're your brothers and their sisters. And, yeah. Uh, and that your real enemy is just this idea of that person, a caricature. Yes. Um, yeah. And so in the midst of this time, I think if we pushed into these 10 things, um, part of why I think it's important to push into these 10 things 
is because Scripture clearly calls us to be a unique and distinct people. Yeah. Uh, you know, First Peter two uh, talks about the priesthood of all believers as this unique community that bears witness mm-hmm. uh, to the uniqueness of Jesus. And I think too often we have, as believers, not really had this unique witness as a community, but rather just kind of fragmented off into the various political religions of, of culture. Yeah. Just as we wrap up and we play a little imagine if, like imagine if God's people in this season lived into those 10 things, not just redemption, but broadly. Mm-hmm. What kind of effect do you think that would have? What, what would happen? What, what do you imagine when you see that? Yeah, I, am, I imagine um, a sharp increase in unity among believers. Mm-hmm. Because there wouldn't, because in a two-party system, you can't be fully at home. So where do you go? Mm-hmm. Well, you go to your brothers and sisters who are also citizens of heaven who are trying to embody that in a physical place mm-hmm. um, because you realize that you're on the same page here. Mm-hmm. So I think unity among believers, which would be so, man, like talk about an oasis in the middle of a desert. Yeah. Know, as we scroll through Facebook and it's like division, division, slander, put down, dehumanize. Well, unity and love and respect for people who are wildly yeah. different. Yeah. See, I actually think more more important justice issues and policy and things for the flourishing of the community would be prevalent because I think the, the, the tropes and the caricatures and those sorts of things, people think that they're actually being productive by having the kind of like finger wagging posture, but they're actually solidifying people even deeper in whatever their opinions are. Yeah. And, and if, if politicians knew that if they just didn't have to say a couple buzzwords and they would get your allegiance, then they would actually have to include the fullness of life in God's world and bring together economics and the environment. Yes. Uh, the sanctity of life in the, in the womb and beyond the womb. Um, you know, just immigration policies that actually are enforceable, um, but uh, are merciful. Um, You know, so there'd be much more of a, you'd get better policy, you'd get people with better character. Uh, And I think actually a, this will be for another podcast, but I think um, there there would be some unique third party situations that would emerge and be very life-giving. Yeah. Um, But we'll get into that another time. Um, And then, frankly, I think that Christ, the gospel, would be proclaimed uh, more and uh, rather than it would be distorted. Yeah. So uh, with that said, let's go ahead and wrap it up, man. Well, next week, what we're going to do in the future podcast, we're going to start actually breaking down each of these political religions um, and talking about how they draw us away from Christ and how Christ is the good news to those. And we'll just devote like a podcast to each one of those. And so with that said, hopefully we'll see you at first Wednesday. Hopefully we will um, uh, have you sign onto this document here. Um, And uh, we'll go ahead and wrap it up for now. Yep. All right. Thanks a lot.